We're reading from 2 Kings chapter 17, and that's on page 381 of the Church Bible. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been Shalmaneser's vassal, and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt. And he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah, in Gozan, on the Habor River, and in the towns of the Medes. Now, all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did these things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshiped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he'd warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, even though the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Nebat, their king, and Jeroboam enticed Israel away from following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. 
The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them until the Lord removed them from his presence, as he warned through all his servants, the prophets. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. And when they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. So he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions into that country among them, which are killing them off because the people do not understand what he requires. Well, then the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled and settled them, set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The people from Babylon made Succoth Benoth, those from Kutha made Nergal, those from Hamath made Ashima, the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. They worshiped the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines of the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. And to this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Israel, or Jacob, whom he named Israel. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you shall bow down and to him offer sacrifices. You must always be careful to keep the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I have made with you and do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. They would not listen, however, but persisted in their former practices. And even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. And to this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. Thanks, Heidi. Good morning to everybody. Oh, oh, oh. It's like my students. Okay, all right. Speaking of students, thank you, Lauren. Um, I was expecting a bit more enthusiasm on her part for me being here, but she will enjoy taking my class again. So, all right. Uh, yeah, as Lauren said, my name's Luke. Uh, my family and I were members here at Colonel Light Gardens uh, for, uh, for our time in Australia, and we are at Tonsley now. And we only really went to Tonsley because Cam made us an offer we couldn't refuse, uh, and felt like, uh, but it felt like it was the right move for us. And so it's great to be back here because we feel like we're, we've, we're coming home. 
uh, thinking about the many, uh, many of you who've cared for us as family while, we, uh, while we've been away from our family. Uh, so we're really grateful uh, for your fellowship and your kindness. Uh, and as Lauren said, I do lecture at the Bible College. I, I teach Old Testament and Hebrew. Uh, and, you know, our, our mission at the Bible College is to train the next generation. We're thinking about church planting, thinking who will pastor the churches after our pastors retire, who will do university work, who will do other Christian ministry, chaplaincy. And so we're always seeking to train women and men for the next generation. Uh, So we just continue to value and covet your prayers. our, our text today, is, uh, as Heidi read for us, thank you for reading uh, again, Heidi, uh, is 2 Kings 17. So that, you know, we're continuing on in this series on the book of Kings. And this is a real turning point in the narrative, in this history of Israel. This story about a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, who are to be a kingdom of priests. They are to mediate God's glory, his love for the world. They're to testify to him and the way that God is restoring this world, putting to right all that has gone wrong. Uh, but as you probably have witnessed, this is story is not a story of triumph. It's a, it's a tragedy. It feels like one of those epic family dramas, a united family that is split apart. And then we've been having these stories about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, so Eliza, do you want to put the map, one map? I'm an Old Testament guy, so I love maps. Uh, it's a little bit small, but the kind of light green is the northern kingdom of Israel. And the kind of bluish gray is Judah. Uh, Israel is in the top. And that's who we're, we are learning about t- today. Uh, as, as you, if you remember, the splitting of this family occurs because of King Solomon, back in 1 Kings 11, King Solomon worshipped many idols and his punishment, his judgment for that idolatry is the splitting of this family. And so for the northern kingdom, which we're learning about today, it is a history of cyclical failure. A failure to follow God, a failure to follow his ways to be the people for the world that God desires. They worshiped other gods, they oppressed the vulnerable. And as we've been waiting, we're anticipating and expecting God to judge. When will he bring his justice against this people? It makes me think of this uh, um, uh, recent documentary I watched Netflix seems to know me. That like you know, it likes to show me these sort of sporting documentaries from the early two thousands, and it's like it's like they know me more than I know myself through the dark arts of algorithms. Um, so this documentary I watched was about a guy named Johnny Manziel. Now you probably don't know Johnny Manziel. Johnny was an all star American football player, American football player. Uh, For two years at the university level, he won all of these accolades and awards. And then he decides that instead of completing his four-year degree, he's going to leave for the NFL. Uh, And at, I think he's like 19 or 20, he signs a $5.5 million 
contract, which is always the best investment of money for a 20-year-old, right? Okay. Anyway, he goes to, he, he was absolutely mesmerizing. He had this nickname, Johnny Football, which is the absolute tops for a nickname. Very American, Johnny Football. And he had such a natural talent. The sky was the limit when you watched him. And he did win. He won a lot at that young level. But then when, he, but at the same time, loads of disciplinary issues. Flying to Vegas the night before a game to gamble. Drug and alcohol abuse. Skipping practice. Failing to watch games. And so as a football fan, you're kind of waiting for discipline to happen. You're waiting for judgment. Uh, and that's what happens after 13 games in the NFL. He just get, kind of gets washed out. Because he was not going to listen. He was not going to follow the ways that you are supposed to as a professional athlete. Now, this documentary kind of summarizes how it all went wrong. Okay? It puts it in a, this nice little package for us to highlight the decisions that led to his discipline. Okay? Um, and this is similar to kind of the Israelite story. We've been reading the Israelite story as this narrative, and we've been waiting for when God will bring justice and judgment. And that's what we have in 2 Kings 17. It's the summary of what went wrong. God's right justice has been done, and that justice it comes in the form of a foreign empire in the empire of Assyria. And they capture this kingdom and they deport it. Okay? And so in our, pa- in our passage today, our first point then is to don't trust your own strategies. So in, in, in verses 1 to 6, we're told what led to the devastation. And it was Hosea who relies on his own political strategies for safety. He relied on them to deliver him from God's judgment of the Assyrian Empire. So in verses, you know, our, our passage begins in verse 1 by, make, by making note that Hosea became king during the, during the reign of Ahaz of the southern kingdom. Now, Hosea, if, uh, if you want to put up the next map, uh, I think there's one more. Maybe go back. Go back one more. There we go. Uh, anyway, this is just to say, he, it's probably too small for you, but anyway, he is the king in the capital of Samaria. And this is a, we're told in verse 1 that it's a very rebellious people. Now, Hosea in, in these verses is described as an evil king, but verse 2 tells us that he is not as evil, or he's not the worst of kings, Right? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Which is a very interesting description of Hosea because the way he becomes king in chapter 15 is murdering the previous king. Okay? So it's an interesting description on what is not as bad. Right? Now Hosea leads a conspiracy. In verses 3 to 6, we read of the destruction of the kingdom, which is something that we've been expecting. Okay? Verses 3 to 4, Hosea was Shalmaneser's vassal, okay? He's a, a, a servant king to Shalmaneser of Assyria, okay? So if you go to one map over, 
There we go. Okay, so Assyria is a kingdom, an empire in Mesopotamia uh, that has two capital cities of Ashur and Nineveh. So if anybody's familiar with the book of Jonah, Jonah goes to Nineveh, one of these capitals. Now, the Assyrian Empire is militaristic and expansionistic. If they had access to the Death Star, they would want it, okay? Now, it sought to capture this entire region because if you hold the region, you hold all the trade routes. You hold all the economics of the region. It was very strategic to control it. And, and really, the way Assyria works is it would capture your com- country uh, and then force you to pay taxes. It was like a, you know, an old like, mob movie of a protection racket. You, know, you pay us tax- taxes and we'll protect you, but when you stop paying, that's when we will destroy you. And so the, the Assyrian king Shalmaneser discovers that instead of paying taxes, Hosea has been going to Egypt... In order to go, in order to uh, seek assistance from Assyria, and so Shalmaneser imprisons Hosea, and then he lays siege on Samaria for three years. Destruction finally comes for this kingdom. In verses seven to forty-one, the next point of our passage then is to explain why did this disaster come? It is a road to disaster. Because if you read verses 5 and 6, the sort of conspiracy, you didn't pay taxes, you might be tempted to think that this was just a poor political decision. You just sided with the wrong nation. You should have just been honoring to the tax system. But we actually see in verses 7 to 41 the underlying issue, that it's not a political issue. Actually, it's a sin issue. The reason... Judgment has come was because of Israel's sin against God and their worship of other idols. Okay? And so in this this section, we see the road to disaster and we see the warning of how we are to respond. Okay? So first of all, we see that this is a people who have forgotten God. So don't forget the God who saves. Verse 7 They outright, they forgot, and they outright rejected him. Look at verse 7. All of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of Egypt from under the power of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. They forgot, they rejected the God who saves. Why Why do we forget? If you're like me, as you think about your relationship to the Lord and the way that he's guiding you and he's saving you, it's so easy to forget at times through the various complexities of life, the difficulties. We have, we have short memories. Short memories of the way that God has saved us from our sins and has delivered us into the light. But also the way we forget the various ways he delivers us. He provides for us in times of difficulty, gives us community and friendship. But more often, I'm afraid, is that we actually find we reject God because we find satisfaction in the idols of our world. Israel sins against the Lord in their idolatry. Sin is rebellion. It's 
It's breaking God's commands, the way, his instructions of the way that this world works best. But it's not just the breaking of these commands. It's it's actually a deeper heart issue. It's, It's loving and desiring, valuing anything above God. And that's what, that's what we see here for the people of Israel. They found satisfaction in the idols of this world. So the northern kingdom has rejected their savior, the God who has rescued them from Egypt. And they found satisfaction and, and joy, contentment in the idols of their world. So in verses 8 to 11 and 16 to 17... We see the laundry list of these infractions. Uh, Verse 9, they built high places. High places are altars. And they built them everywhere in order to make sacrifices to these gods. Verse 10, they made sacred pillars and Asherah poles, which are idolatrous instruments that you would use in these idolatrous practices. Verse 11, they burned incense to these gods. Verse 12 tells us that they served these idols. And how horrendous is verse 17? Child sacrifice. Sacrificing your children. These are all forms of false worship. They are forms contrary to the way God has instructed this people to approach him. It is an attempt to manipulate the gods of the world. To seek safety and prosperity. Joy. In these gods. See, an idol is, idol is anything that it, we value as more valuable than God. We, we trust idols to provide peace. We, we trust them to provide us comfort. Now, these can be physical idols they, or they can be actually heart idols, representatives of something else. See, the Israelites believed that these idols would give them protection from enemies and prosperity. That harvests would be plentiful, that there'd be plenty of food, plenty of money. And so we have, we have similar physical idols in our own world. We can travel to many countries throughout the world and we find physical idols being worshipped. But uh, idols in our own world, here in Adelaide and Australia, they tend to be a, a, a bit more subtle. We think about the idol of the economy. We trust in the economy to give us joy and contentment and safety. We might trust in a political party that all will be well as long as my political party will, will be in office. Sometimes we trust a relationship, a particular relationship either with a, maybe with a parent could be somebody of a romantic relationship that we desire type of job, a job that gives us status. That way when you go to the barbecue, you're able to, to tell people what you do and be very proud of it. That that job will, will give you the, the um, satisfaction that you need. See, these are just as dangerous, these idols. The idol to desire money above all else, the desire for power to continue to rise in the ranks. 
Uh, many of our youth will probably understand the idol of popularity and acceptance, which adults, no adult ever struggles with. The desire to be just loved and accepted, to be a part of that peer group. The idol of leisure. So we go to these idols because we doubt that God himself can deliver us, that we doubt that he brings us contentment and joy. And so we see the Israelites themselves going to these idols, and they devoted themselves in these idols for evil. Verse 9 tells us that these practices were not right. Verse 11 says that they were actually wicked. In verse 17, they sold themselves for this evil. And the reason they are not right and wicked and evil is because God laws, God's laws, when they are broken, it leads to social sin in the community. Okay? God's laws, of course, tell us how we are to relate to him, how we're to worship him alone but also how we are to relate to each other. That's why I think the Lord Jesus, when he summarizes God's law, it's to love God and to love neighbor. When God's laws are broken, it is social chaos. If you read the prophets, the prophets are notorious for speaking about the social sins in Israel, the oppression to the vulnerable, selling people off for debt, You see, idolatry in our own world has massive implications at a national level, right? A a country of people who are idolaters, full of greed, who crave power, will no doubt be oppressive. The idols that we serve in our hearts likewise impacts our, our church community. So what happens at the national level, we can see at our church community level. When we engage in idolatry of the culture, it leads to disorder in our church. When when we are greedy, it will lead to a lack of generosity to those in our church who absolutely need it. If we desire a relationship, say a, a romantic relationship, it will lead us to objectify one another and fail to treat each other as being created in the image of God. When we worship the idol of leisure or busyness, it will lead us to be unavailable to serve one another when we absolutely need it. And so we see in Israel, these idols, God did not let these idols run rampant, but he actually warned them, don't resist the Lord's warnings. So Israel's sin and their resistance led God to bring warning, and they rejected these warnings. Verse 12 tells us that they were warned not to worship these idols. Let me read verses 13 to 15. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep. 
They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. See, God's desire, his intentions is to be in relationship with us and his entire creation. He desires to be our God and for us to be his people. That there would be, there would be shared fellowship. But of course, our sin separates us from him. But God does not let, leave, um, leave us in our sin, leave us on the path of destruction. He actually, by his grace, brings warning. He warns about the consequences of sin. He does not remain silent and write us off. Rather, while we are in our sins, he sends warnings. For Israel, he sent prophets to warn of God's ways. Most notably, he sends the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes warns of the path of destruction and points to salvation in in himself. And today, not only do we see the Lord Jesus, but we also see spirit-filled sisters and brothers warning us of our idolatry, warning us of the path of destruction. So this is a great opportunity to to self-examine. Am I resistant to the Lord's warnings? Do I find myself avoiding my growth group or, or community because I fear uh, the warning that I might receive? It's probably a good indicator, actually, that we should lean into that and to seek out our brothers and sisters for help. Now, one of the consequences that, was, that I read there is, uh, for idolatry is that you become like the idols you worship, for verse 15. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Okay? See, love, love has this interesting power in our lives, right? Love is, love is more than just something uh, that you feel about something or someone. It actually, our love changes us. Okay? Your love, your loves realigns what you value. Okay? It realigns what you do. It actually, and it actually shapes you into the thing that you desire and the thing that you love. Okay? This is the principle as you become what you love. You and I become like the things that we desire and treasure the most. Okay, so the idol of acceptance by your peers, you will start to love the things that they love. You will adopt their personalities. You will adopt their speech. If your idol is money, you will do all that you can in order to change yourself, in order to acquire more. You change jobs. You change the way you dress. You change, you change the way the group that you are involved with. If, if leisure is your idol, then you will never be present and but instead you will always be looking for the next opportunity having relationships with others having resources to sustainably live on uh, enjoying leisure are good things those are good things from god 
but they're very poor saviors. They're poor saviors because idols fail you. Because the things that we have placed all our love, all our security, do not bring us peace. This is why you never have enough money. This is why I'm never accepted enough in my peer group, in in my professional group. It's why I never work enough or feel like I work enough. It's because these things actually fail. They actually never deliver what we think they will deliver. And it's because it's because they're never designed to do that. See, this this is the beauty of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that it is the only thing that provides full joy, full salvation. It's because it's not something you earn or work for. The idols we pursue, they're external and they actually have to be achieved. You actually have to work really hard for them. But at the end of the day, they belong to somebody else to give to me. And they they belong to another human. Somebody else must accept me. And so they can give it, but they also can remove it. Idols can be removed, lost, or maybe just never acquired. See, this is the radicalness of the gospel, right? Is that it's something from the outside, but transforms who you are. God makes you want to change your loves, to love him above all things. And that transformation that he gives is something that can't be taken away because it is purely his gift, not something achieved. And so if we become what we love, our prayer should be, Lord, help me to love the Lord Jesus more than the idols of my heart. That that we would be made more like him. That you would make us to love the Lord Jesus above all things. And so our passage then moves on for the encouragement to turn back to him. Okay, we're encouraged to turn back to the Lord. Okay? For some, that might be for the first time turning to him. Others, it might be the continued turning to him. Okay? To have our hearts realigned to him. To have our, our, to have our loves rekindled by his grace. Now the sobering reality of our story is that Israel never turns back. Okay? In spite of knowing the instructions of the Lord and the goodness of those instructions, they persist in their sins. We see that at the, in verses 21 to 22. When he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made Jeroboam, son of Naboth, their king, Jeroboam enticed Israel away from the following the Lord and caused them to commit a great sin. The Israelites persisted in all the sins of Jeroboam and did not turn away from them. And so the Lord removes them. The result of their sin, as we've seen, is exile. To be banished, to be given over 
to the destruction of this Assyrian empire. The rejections of God's ways leads to his judgment. We see in verse 18 that the Lord's response is that he removes them from his presence. This is the the reality of the Garden of Eden all over again. God created in the beginning for, for humanity to be in fellowship with him, to be in his presence. And the result of that sin is to be banished from the garden. Here in the land of Israel, God is banishing the Israelites from his presence. And the reason is, is because God is a holy God. Pure. He, he does no wrong. He is upright. He is just. And so sin in God's world must be addressed. And that is really good news. Because we, I think in our heart of hearts, we desire peace. We desire justice to be done. God is patient, which is grace to us. But he is also judge. We all want to live in a world where peace reigns, where wrongdoing is rightly punished. And so God is right in his judgment of this people. After warning, after warning, after patience, after patience. And so the reality then in verses 24 to 41 is syncretism in the land. Okay? This full description of what life is like in the northern kingdom after Assyria. And basically to summarize is various groups come in uh, and they bring in their own idolatry. This new makeup, the Lord is worshipped, but also other idols. So even after God has banished his people from his presence, he is still working to wake this people. When, when idolatry comes, he sends lions in order that they might bring a priest who would show them the way. But nothing changes. They still worship falsely. And so even in judgment, nothing changes for this people. And so this shows that something far more extensive must be done for, hu- for the human heart to change. Okay. And so there is a road to glory, though. So the northern kingdom's banishment and exile invites us today, this morning, to examine our own hearts. We're invited to examine the idols that we find satisfaction, that we find joy in. So what are the things we love and the things that are shaping us into their image rather than into the image of the Lord Jesus. And we see that the road to glory, that road is repentance. God's judgment is just. And exile from from his presence is the appropriate punishment for rejecting him. But exile is not the last word. Just as there is an exile for this people, there is also a future exodus. An exodus not only from the exile of Assyria and Babylon, but an, an exodus from our own hearts, from our own sins. And Jesus Christ leads us in that. 
He leads us out of the bondage of our sins through the path of repentance. You see, when we, when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, one of the, kind of, one of the things I love is that image of, that he breaks the bondage of our idols. That he grants us new hearts and a new spirit. That we would, that we would want to want to follow him. And so the fullness of that exodus, it will be fully experienced in his second coming. But it is one that he is leading us through right now. And so the glory, the road to glory is through repentance. And we, and we read that actually earlier in 1 Kings 8 at the beginning of the series. So Eliza, do you want to put 1 Kings 8, 8 for us? This is verses 46 to 51. And I'll read it for us. When they sin again, and this is King Solomon praying about how God will, would respond to this people. He says, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned and we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestor, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their captives to show them mercy. For, you, for they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron-smelting furnace. How good is it that our sin does not thwart God's plans? He does not just write us off, but actually provides the path back in repentance. And so friends, the, ro the road to judgment is wide and easy. It is an easy path to walk along, but the end of the road is disaster, as we've seen in the northern kingdom. And so examine, examine your hearts. Identify your idols. Ask the Lord God to replace your loves with an even greater love and even greater affection. Give great thanks that there is a road to glory and that the Lord Jesus is leading us in that exodus. And so trust him with your full hearts, full of repentance and full of joy that he alone provides. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is leading us in an exodus out of the bondage of our sin. We thank you for what he has secured in his life and in his resurrection, death and resurrection. God, I pray that you would grow our affections and our loves for the Lord Jesus above all things in our hearts and that you would be shaping us in his image. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.